Hey everybody, welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder and CEO of Black Spectacles. Uh, during our webinar today, we're gonna review some of the most important concepts of project planning and design, PPD, uh, and share some practice exam questions as we review a mock exam with Mike Newman. Uh, for those of you who are new to joining us here uh, at ARE Live, Black Spectacles is the first ever NCARB approved online test prep provider for all six of the ARE 5.0 divisions. We offer um, comprehensive test prep for the ARE with video lectures, practice exams, flashcards, and virtual workshops. And it's all available online uh, with memberships available for either individual architects, firms, or AIA chapters and schools. So uh, if you want to learn more, you can go to blackspectacles.com and click ARE prep to find more on our ARE study materials. Um, as a reminder, we've launched our ARE guarantee. We're so confident that if you use our expert membership to the fullest, you will pass the ARE. And if you don't, we're putting our money where our mouth is and paying for your retake. So to learn more about how to qualify for the guarantee, go to blackspectacles.com uh, and then ARE prep, and you'll find all the details on our ARE guarantee. As I mentioned, we have group memberships as well. So to learn more about how you can uh, have your whole firm on a membership and have your boss pay for it, go to blackspectacles.com and head to our pricing session uh, section. Our next ARE live broadcast will be on November 11th of 2021. Uh, and Mike Newman will return to review some of our most important concepts of project management with a mock exam. Today, we're gonna be engaging exclusively on our online ARE community. So head over to that thread if you haven't already. Um, I'm gonna go there right now. So if you go to blackspectacles.com and if you go to uh, resources, uh, you'll find the link to ARE community. And, uh, and then when you land on the homepage for the ARE community, you'll see a button toward the top uh, that says ARE Live and it's the first uh, thread there. Uh, so check that out. Um, Everyone who posts in that thread today will be eligible to win a free Black Spectacles t-shirt. So head over to community.blackspectacles.com and say hello. You don't even have to write a fancy question if you don't have one. All you have to do is say hello, um, and that will uh, make you eligible uh, to win a free t-shirt. Um, and don't forget, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll announce the, uh, the winner of that free t-shirt at the end of the podcast. To, to make sure you stick around to see if you won, um, and so forth. So. Uh, the last thing to share with you is that today we have a special discount on all Black Spectacles ARE prep memberships uh, to share and help you along your journey. So I'll provide that coupon code at the end of the show. So stick around for that. Our guest today uh, is Mike Newman. Uh, he is the founder of Shed Studio, and he is a uh, accomplished uh, professor uh, at a number of uh, the schools of architecture here in the Chicagoland area. Uh, he's also uh, our instructor for our Black Spectacles ARE prep video lectures. Uh, and so with that, I'll hand it off to you, Mike. Okay. Um, good, to, good to hear from you, Mark, and uh, looking forward to this one today. Uh, I think probably the smart thing here is just to dive right in. Um, one quick reminder that uh, the, the way that the exams are set up, as I'm sure all of you know, is you have the uh, sort of the two management uh, exams that are sort of a separate uh, kind of category. And then you have the four exams uh, in a row, one that starts with kind of initial issues and analysis, then getting into planning, which is this one, uh, planning and design, and then into planning and uh, design and documentation, which is the next one. And then the fourth of that series is the one that is sort of when the architect is uh, kind of helping the construction process go along through the um, uh, construction administration end of things. Uh, and so it's kind of a timeline uh, through a project, if you will. And if you think of it that way, it allows you to see the questions a little differently. You could get almost literally the same question on multiple exams. It's just that the agenda would be different because it'd be at a different point along uh, the process. Um, but let's just sort of jump in here. Let's see if I can get, oh, there we go. Uh, and we're just going to run through a couple of. Uh, uh, questions that kind of get to some of these kinds of issues uh, and the sort of way that you are thinking about uh, how to approach projects uh, in the sort of early stages of the design thinking. So this first one, question one, uh, the concept of continuous insulation has become a common requirement in building codes across the country. 
what is the main reason for this? And we have a couple different possible uh, answers. Uh, reduces the thickness of the walls, reduces thermal bridging, more cost-effective than regular insulation, creates a better acoustic separation. So let's just think about what this uh, can mean generally. So I'm gonna just do a quick sketch here. So imagine I'm sketching a portion of a wood-framed wall. Need to get you some sketching music, Mike. Yeah, that would be good. Like Benny Hill or something. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so I've got a uh, sill plate and I've got, uh, or sole plate, I guess, actually, and I've got a couple of uh, studs coming up. And you can imagine this is a continuous wall. And those studs are at 16 inches on center, 24 inches on center. Uh, I've got some uh, sheathing on the outside. Uh, and in between these studs, I've got a bunch of insulation. So I've got insulation in between the studs uh, as uh, as we, uh, you know, the wall is sort of filled with that. There's a bunch of other things in there too, there's electricity and all that kind of stuff. But essentially I've got all that going. Uh, and then on the inside, obviously I have drywall. So I've got a drywall face across uh, that whole thing. And for you know most of uh, the recent history, that's how we built small buildings. Might be with metal studs, might be some other things, but essentially we did something like that. We had those wood studs set apart from each other, and then we fill the cavity space with insulation. And that's great. The thing about insulation, right, is that it's kind of an interesting material. Uh, if you think about how materials conduct heat energy, effectively all materials conduct heat energy. Just some conduct it very, very well, and some conduct it very badly. Uh, and so an example of something that conducts it very badly, uh, we would call uh, insulation. So we like the fact that it conducts heat energy badly. That means it slows the process of the heat, heat energy moving through our building envelope. Uh, so just as a quick kind of way to picture that, you imagine yourself standing outside on a freezing cold day and say there's three objects in front of you and one is an aluminum uh, bar, another one is a piece of a two by four or a piece of wood, uh, and a third one is a chunk of styrofoam. If I pick up the aluminum bar on that freezing cold day outside in the winter uh, and I'm holding it with my bare hand, that bar is going to feel really, really cold. Uh, and the reason it's going to be feel really cold is because the aluminum is very, very good at conducting heat energy. And so it's going to conduct uh, through conduction uh, heat energy right out of my hand and into the aluminum. And it's going to feel incredibly cold. I can then put that down and pick up the piece of wood two by four and hold that. And it will feel quite cold, but not as cold because it's not as good a conductor. So the wood is you know, it will conduct the heat energy, but it's not as good a conductor as that aluminum was. And then I could put that down and pick up the piece of styrofoam and, you know, it wouldn't really feel all that cold at all uh, because it's a terrible conductor at heat energy, which is why we like it for coffee cups and insulation and things like that. Now, styrofoam also has lots of... Uh, uh, sustainability issues in terms of uh, toxic chemicals when they're making it and things like that. But be that push that to the side. We have these three materials. Uh, one feels absolutely freezing cold. The other one feels cold. The third one, eh, it's not you barely even notice it. But interestingly, they're all outside on that freezing cold day. So they're all actually the same temperature. Uh, it's just how it feels to us because of their ability to conduct heat energy. So the insulation in the walls uh, like this uh, are the, the reason that that insulation is good is that it's just poor at conducting that heat energy. Well, the wood studs are, remember, in that middle zone. They're not fabulous at conducting heat energy, not like that aluminum bar, 
but they're still pretty good at it. They're good enough at it that what that means is that's a good place for heat energy to travel. So if you imagine that you know you've got inside nice uh, warm air inside on a hot oh, excuse me on a, a cold winter day, and that heat energy from from there is going to want to travel through the wall. Nature always wants to balance itself, so the higher heat always wants to find the lower heat in order to kind of find a happy medium. So it's finding its way through the wall every chance it can in order to balance that out. Well, as it tries to go through the portion of the wall that has all the insulation, it's gonna have a hard time getting through because the insulation is a poor conductor uh, of heat energy, but the wood is not a bad conductor. And so it's gonna find its way right on through. And so that wood in that stud is going to act uh, as a thermal bridge that is uh, bridging from the inside to the outside, creating a pathway for the heat energy to get lost from inside to the outside. Now, I'm using the winter as the example because it's sort of obvious, but we could be having the same conversation about the summer. It's just that the heat energy is flowing from the outside to the inside, meaning that we now have to air condition more in order to get rid of that heat energy that's come in. Now, all insulation will eventually, heat will still find its way through, but you can see that there's really a difference between uh, these different uh, aspects of the heat, ener heat energy loss from these different materials. So uh, this was the sort of way that we built for decades and decades. So you still find it in a lot of situations. But these days, what's sort of being uh, asked for is starting to add another layer on the outside and then maybe a finish of a rain screen or some other finished material on that, but that that layer becomes an insulating layer and notice that it goes right across all of those uh, studs, those vertical um, wood members. So uh, there is no place now in that wall where I have this straight uh, thermal bridge from inside to outside. I still have a better and worse part of the wall, the part that has the, the original insulation and then also this added insulation, this continuous insulation, uh, is going to be clearly be better than the, where the studs are, but where the studs are, are still going to be pretty good because I have this insulation going by and I don't have that immediate thermal bridge capacity to just lose heat energy out. So uh, these days, the codes in much of the country uh, are now requiring the idea of continuous insulation in various situations. Um, I will say that when I, I remember back years ago, early in my career, and it's like maybe 1995 or something. And I uh, drew uh, something like this in a wall section and I was showing it to uh, the contractors and the contractors were like, just like, forget it. You gotta be kidding me, that's just way too much work. We're not gonna, that's a whole second layer of the wall. We're not gonna do that. Uh, like people just didn't expect to do continuous insulation then. Now, if you show a contractor a wall that doesn't have uh, the continuous insulation, they're like, what's the matter with you? Like, that's crazy. You're gonna lose all kinds of heat energy. Like there's been a whole flip uh, in how people expect, uh, how we think about uh, the envelopes of buildings. Uh, and the idea of this sort of continuous insulation is really a sort of conceptual idea. It's not related to the wood studs. These could be metal studs. It could be a CMU concrete block backup with a brick veneer and that airspace in between. I have a run of uh, continuous insulation there. It's an idea of finding ways to make sure that we don't accidentally create ways that we just lose heat energy uh, and therefore uh, are wasting, wasting that heat energy. So uh, continuous insulation, the answer here is going to be that it reduces uh, B, it reduces thermal bridging. Now, kind of interestingly, uh, it actually, in terms of A, uh, it actually thickens the wall, doesn't reduce it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, to C, more cost-effective, yeah, you could say that, um, but it doesn't really hold true. It doesn't really make a lot of sense as it'd be hard to sort of uh, uh, 
kind of make that a, a really clear answer. Uh, and D creates a better acoustic separation. It actually does create a better acoustic situation. So that's a correct answer. It's just not the correct answer. There's a better answer, which in this case is the reduces thermal bridging. All right, going to move on. Okay, question number two. In a new design for a building in Denver, the design team is considering various options for the fenestration. Uh, fenestration, hopefully everybody knows the term. Uh, it's the fancy word for window pattern. Um, so new options, various options for the fenestration of a building. Which side of the building will be the hardest to control solar heat gain? So this is probably one that most of you know, but just in case, we're gonna run through it here. So imagine we have our building here. There's north, east, south, west. Um, first thing to sort of think about when we are talking about solar heat gain, uh, especially through windows, is there are times when we like it and there are times when we don't like it. And uh, pretty obviously in the summertime, I probably don't really want to get a lot of extra solar heat gain. It's just going to increase my air conditioning load. It's going to be problematic uh, because it's going to overpower the, the building. Uh, but in the winter time, getting that extra little bit of solar heat gain is actually going to be a big positive because what it's going to be doing is reducing the uh, energy I'm going to use in heating the building because I'm going to be stealing a little bit of that free solar heat uh, coming through the windows. So I like it in the winter and I don't like it in the summer. That's obviously a simplistic way. Most of these questions are going to be, uh, you're going to have to take them in sort of simplistic uh, understandings because you're, you have to be able to uh, make a decision off of a very little bit of information. Um, clearly in the summer, there are going to be cool days and in the winter, there are going to be warmer days. Um, but you can generally say solar heat gain in the winter is good, solar heat gain in the summer, and eh, not so good. You actually want to block it as much as you can. So, all right, we're looking at the plan of this building. Uh, and if you imagine in the summertime, uh, the sun is going to be rising about there, roughly, uh, rising up and then setting down about there. Fairly rough justice here on this, obviously. Uh, and then in the winter time, it's going to be rising there. You can see that I'm below due east. Uh, so there's rising and it's much lower in the sky. And then it's coming back again. So in the summer, it's rising up as it moves along. And then falling down low as it goes to set. In the winter, it's rising up as it moves along and then falling down low as it goes down to set. So if we look at that building in section, we can imagine in the summertime, if this is the south face right here, in the summertime, that sun is very high in the sky. In the wintertime, that sun is quite low in the sky. So that sun is coming right down on the building in the summertime and in the wintertime, it's coming in sort of almost sideways at the building. Uh, and then obviously in the spring and the fall, it's between those two. Uh, so what this means is we look at this building, we can see that the South is really getting a lot of the sun, both winter and summer, and therefore also spring and fall. Uh, but I'm going to have a fairly easy time of putting a small little blocking system there, and that's going to bounce that solar heat energy away from the building. But in the winter time, when I actually want it, it's going to go right underneath there. So I am able to control that solar heat gain fairly easily on the south side in a way that's probably a little unexpected because you might think that the south side, well, it's getting all that sun. It's got to be the hardest place to control. But in fact, because there's such a grand difference between where the sun is in the winter versus where it is in the summer, that it allows me easy way to control uh, when I want to get it and when I want to block it. 
So let's think about the other sides right now. Well, let's think about the north for a second. Well, I'm getting almost no, very, very little uh, solar, direct solar gain onto the north face at all at the very beginning of the morning and at the uh, very uh, end of the day, uh, only in the summertime. And in the wintertime, it's not even going to ever get uh, any direct sun. So north can't possibly be uh, the right answer. So we're going to X that one out uh, right off the bat. So uh, south seems like a, a, a good answer in terms of what's going to be the easiest to control. Uh, but let's sort of play it through. What about west? So now let's take a look at this western example. So I'm going to be looking uh, at our building. Now this is the west facade. Uh, and remember that the sun is rising from the east uh, in the summer and it's rising from the east in the winter and it's setting on the west in the summer and it's setting on the west in the winter. So in both of those scenarios, east and west, in both time frames, summer and winter, the sun is that low sun angle. So here we are at the low sun angle. I'm kind of making up a sun angle here, but it's coming in down low, but it's never at the high uh, angle on the east and the west because that it's in the process of either rising or setting. So in both scenarios, when I want it and when I don't want it, it's down at that low angle. And so it means that I just don't have this easy way to control, well, okay, in the summer, I'm gonna block it in this way, but in the winter, I'll allow it in in this other way. Like, I can't control the difference. They're both low angles. Uh, and so I just don't have that ability in a sort of easy way. Now, there's lots of other things I could do. I could have, you know, shading systems that move. I could, uh, you know, provide, uh, you know, curtain systems or all kinds of other things. But there's not a simple, easy control way for the east or the west. And since the west is the one that I have as a possible choice here, the answer is going to be that A, the west, uh, is going to be the hardest uh, of these three sides to control. Now, interestingly, if there was a D East, I would still say that West was the hardest one to control, even though they're essentially the same. And the reason for that is that if I'm worried about solar heat gain, I'm gonna be less worried about it in the morning because the morning, uh, the, the day hasn't warmed up yet. So I just don't have the same concerns that I would have at the end of the day after the whole building has gained all that solar heat from the big bright sun uh, and the, the earth is all hot and everybody's, uh, the, the whole day has is just is, is become hotter and hotter all day. And now that sun is setting and now I have that low angle sun coming right in my uh, west facing glass. So I would say that the West was still the worst uh, in terms of controlling uh, in uh, a comparison between the East and the West, uh, which uh, would be a little hard, like, you know, the, technically they're exactly the same. It's just that it would feel different at, in the afternoon because there would already be so much solar heat gain. So it's a little funny what we're talking about here. What we're saying is uh, that it's about are there easy ways architecturally to sort of answer this issue? And the big question when it comes to solar heat gain is just that simple understanding that I want it in the winter and I don't want it in the summer. All right. Hey, Mike, real quick question from yeah. our ARE community. Um, uh, I don't know how to say their name because it's probably their last name, Wailuka. I think, uh, asked, wouldn't the answer be West, no matter if the building is in Denver or not? Yes. Yeah. Well, that was um, easy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, uh, th the idea was just putting it, so it was in a place that was kind of in the middle of the country that, so it was this, the, you could kind of picture the East, West and North, all of that. It does get a little more complex, but it, you wouldn't get this kind of question on the exam because it starts getting nuanced. 
and right. they don't want nuance on the exam. They want fairly right. clean, simple uh, understanding. But clearly there's a difference in sun angles if you're in say New Orleans versus if you're in say Anchorage, Alaska. Um, so it, it's actually quite a different conversation uh, when you start getting that far north um, because even, uh, even the high angle um, uh, of that summer sun is actually not as high as you would have it in the main body of the United States, the 48 contiguous states. Um, so you could actually, it could actually be a slightly different conversation. So we're just kind of nailing it into the kind of middle of the country. So exactly it's, uh, um, it holds true uh, for this conversation. But it would be very similar in Chicago or Minneapolis or uh, San Francisco or you know anywhere in the sort of middle range, um, and would be still true even in the extremes. It's just that it gets a little more complex. Perfect. Thanks, Mike. Great question. All right, this is another one of these kind of uh, simplistic ones. Um, uh, just trying to sort of get you to think um, uh, at a sort of base level. Uh, so the question is, question three, which of the following building floor plan shapes would be best for a cold climate like Buffalo, New York? Again, Buffalo, New York, nobody cares about it. That's not the key here. The key here is cold climate. Uh, and so when we're talking about cold, it's not giving us any other information. So we're not talking about fenestration or solar heat gain or anything like that. We're just talking about the fact that it's cold. Uh, and uh, given that, the big issue we have, the big thing that we're thinking about is heat loss. So where do I lose heat? Well, I lose it through the perimeter of the building. Now, I also lose it through a couple of other things like when people open doors or open windows and some things like that, but those are sort of incidental. Those are about use. You can't really control that in this kind of a question. So what we're talking about here is I have an envelope, a wall system and a roof system uh, and that uh, envelope is losing heat energy out through it, uh, out uh, from the uh, nice warm space inside that has a heating system to the cold exterior. Uh, so our basic issue here is what's gonna uh, create a better situation in that scenario? Is it going to be to have more wall area and more roof area? or is it gonna to be to have less wall area and less roof area? And it should be sort of obvious once I say it out loud like that, that yeah, clearly the whole point here would be uh, to have the least wall area uh, compared to the amount of floor area that I have uh, and the least roof area compared to the amount of floor area I have is sort of total uh, envelope. Uh, 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 and the way that I'm going to do that is by going with the nice, simple square system. So if you kind of calculate it out, you can do a quick set of calculations in your head and you can realize that actually a circle would be even more technically efficient. Um, but the square is going to give us uh, the most square footage for the least uh, perimeter envelope. Uh, if I have the long, thin rectangle, uh, I'm going to have more wall area than uh, uh, compared to the for the same floor area compared to the square. If I have the courtyard, uh, I have certain advantages with the courtyard, but a bunch of disadvantages and the obvious disadvantages. I now have even more wall area that I can lose heat energy through. Uh, the L shape is going to be similar. Uh, I just adding wall area compared to the, the floor area. So it's just a simple discussion of uh, what's the issue in that cold climate without any other information. Uh, and the only thing we can really think about here is heat loss through our envelope uh, and the square is going to be the most efficient of them. Now, having said that, there's all kinds of reasons why you might not want to build a square. That's not really the point. Once you look at a site or the context or understand, maybe you can use the fenestration and get some really useful solar heat gain at certain times of the season and kind of change things around. There's all kinds of reasons why you might use a different shape. But in this context, in this question, all we know is the heat, uh, heat loss issue of the cold climate. 
And so you're gonna go with the most efficient, straightforward system. If we were being a little more complex and we had more information about uh, fenestration or something, uh, I might actually choose not as long a rectangle as that one, but something of a rectangle with windows and then a shading system on it, just slightly uh, oriented south and a little bit towards the east, that would probably be, once you start getting into uh, fenestration and solar heat gain and all of that, that would probably be th like the perfect mix of reducing the, the exterior wall surface, uh, but adding in as much uh, uh, wintertime solar heat gain as you could. Uh, so you, if you had more information, you might be able to make a more nuanced conversation, but this is very simple, one line, and it's just asking you what's gonna be the most efficient, and in this case, it's gonna be the square. Okay, um, number four, question four. The architectural team has finished a schematic design for a six-story office building for a new construction project in Cleveland. Most of the building is clad in glass, uh, excuse me, a glass curtain wall system, the window wall ratio, the WWR as designed, is approximately 75%. Due to this WWR, what will be required? A, uh, with that much glass, hydronic or electric radiant heaters will be required at the base of the windows to reduce condensation buildup. B, according to the IBC codes, the structure must be a concrete frame for stiffness to reduce potential for building movement and thus cracking of the window systems, glass or sealants. C, according to the IBC code energy requirements, the building will not be able to be designed through the prescriptive method and instead an energy model will likely be required. Uh, D, to reduce the solar heat gain from the large amount of glass area, exterior shading devices will be required. So uh, if you kind of think of the window wall ratio, like imagine you're doing this building and We'll do a little tiny version of it here. I've got a little curtain wall. I didn't quite get enough floors there, but I think it'll do. And so I've got a little bit of solid, it's maybe glass material, but it's a little bit of a spandrel. Uh, so it's, it has the ability to be insulated, but it's essentially mostly glass. Now, 75% would be pretty high percentage, but uh, you could imagine you could have essentially all glass uh, uh, facades um, and that would have, there'd be certain interesting things that both uh, design and, and for sustainability reasons, there may be some advantages, but there's also a bunch of disadvantages. The obvious uh, disadvantage of having a lot of glass is that glass is a terrible, terrible, terrible insulator. Now, the glass today that you can buy is way better than what you could buy, say, 20 years ago. Uh, and it's, you know, maybe double or even triple uh, the, the uh, insulating capacity, which is fantastic. That's great. But that's still terrible compared to an insulated wall. So, uh, uh, you know, having a lot of glass is going to be super problematic. Uh, because I'm going to have a lot of place where I'm just really badly insulated for this building. Now, interestingly, though, it's not that that's the only issue. You know, the other side of that is, well, you know, with the glass, I also get a lot of nice, fresh, free daylight uh, that I don't have to have my lights on inside as much because I have a lot of light coming in from the outside. And so I'm saving energy potentially uh, on my lighting bills. Uh, I'm also getting, as we talked about, uh, that solar heat gain at certain sides of the building at certain uh, times of the year. So there's certain advantages to having uh, a reasonable amount of glass, but there's also, as we said, a bunch of disadvantages because it's just such a bad insulator. Uh, so what that gives us, if we start comparing that little building that say is at 75%, well, another building, same situation, you know, maybe this one has punched windows. And I'm not gonna draw a whole lot of these because it just takes too long. 
but you get the idea. A bunch of punched windows. Uh, well, clearly I've got way more solid wall and therefore well insulated wall, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, you know, I can have roughly the same building inside uh, with very different window wall ratios. And what this is all kind of getting to is that the ASHRAE folks and the IBC, International Building Code, and uh, various other folks have kind of gone through the numbers and have sort of realized that there's kind of a happy medium. I want to have enough windows that I get all of that free daylight. I want to have enough windows that I'm getting uh, some beautiful solar heat gain in those winter months when I really want it. Uh, but I don't want to have so much window that any heat energy or any cooling that I put into my building, I'm essentially just losing out through all of these uh, poorly insulated glass uh, walls. Now, like I said, they're way better insulated than they used to be, but they're still comparatively really terrible insulators. So uh, they've kind of gone through, crunched those numbers, and there's sort of a reasonable range uh, that they've found that you can be pretty sure you're going to be getting all the benefits, but not uh, having a, a full building of losing all that heat energy. Um, and depending on the climate, depending on the, the, the construction type and a few other issues, uh, it might be that it's say it's somewhere between 35 or 45 percent. So I might have a, a window wall ratio of 40 percent or 45 percent or 35 percent. Uh, and that's giving me enough window, kind of like this example here. Uh, it's giving me enough window area uh, that I'm getting all those positives, but I also have a lot of well-insulated wall, so I'm not getting all the negatives, at least not the scale of which I would with this particular uh, example in the question. So there's these dividing lines for different climates and different situations, um, but they'll all be in that kind of rough range there, um, where if you're below that window wall ratio, then you can just follow the rules. You, there's a series of prescriptive rules that you're allowed to just, you know, if you meet that, that WWR, well then you can just follow that set of rules. So it might say for a climate that you're working in, Let's say the typical wall section must be uh, meet an R23, a, a reasonably well insulated wall. And maybe the roof will say it has to be at least uh, an R40 or 45 or something like that. Uh, and so it'll just give you these, these rules. And then you can just say when you're permitting or whatever, you can say, okay, we meet the uh, the requirement of the window wall ratio. And therefore we're going with the prescriptive method. Uh, and here's the the rules that we need to follow. Here's the R23 at the wall, and here's the R43 in the in the roof. And uh, so therefore, you know, we're good to go. And nobody really needs to go through and calculate anything. They don't need to uh, spend a bunch of extra time kind of figuring it all out because this is sort of a happy medium that people over the span of years have taken lots and lots of information in and kind of developed. Uh, and sort of said, all right, if you follow these rules, eh, we can be pretty sure it'll be a reasonably sustainable building uh, and will work well in, the, in that particular climate zone with these particular rules. But we still wanna have people be able to design other things or try new innovations. Uh, it may be that, yeah, that uh, glass is a terrible insulator, but maybe we're gonna do a double glass wall. We're gonna have convective currents running up uh, in between them to kind of help heat and cool or temper the, the air before uh, it gets used for, for heating and cooling. Or we're gonna find uh, shading systems that are gonna allow for different ways of uh, uh, controlling uh, solar heat gain, or uh, we're gonna use you know some other kind of novel way of approaching this or we're just going to make uh, a certain percentage of the wall very insulated, and that's gonna balance out the lesser insulated glass portion. So there's lots of things that I could do in order to uh, make something with that higher uh, WWR sort of uh, be reasonable, but it's just, I can't do that by just following those simple prescriptive rules. 
And so there's like this dividing line. And if I'm below on that, I can follow the prescriptive rules, no calculations needed, straightforward, everybody gets it. Uh, but if I want to go above that, well, then I'm gonna have to prove it. And so I'm gonna probably need, not necessarily there's a couple ways I could do it, but I'm probably going to need an energy model uh, in order to be able to show that we're still meeting the overall uh, heat loss worries uh, that the code requirements would have. So uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. It, nobody's trying to stop you from designing what you want. Uh, they're just trying to get the buildings to meet uh, certain requirements. Uh, and uh, we also wanna make it as easy as possible for most buildings that don't have a lot of uh, extra uh, engineering uh, capacity uh, for cost reasons or just uh, what's available. And so there's ways that you can design that meets all of these issues. And at the same time, there's ways uh, that you can uh, go beyond that and do something innovative and new and, and trying something different. Um, but then you have to be able to express that, yes, in fact, you're meeting all of the uh, heat loss worries uh, that would be built into the code. So the answer here is C, I believe. Let's see, according to the uh, prescriptive method. Yeah, so it would be C um, that, that when you see that WWR, that's typically going to be talking about that moment of flipping back and forth between the simple prescriptive methods or the more complex ones where you have to actually uh, figure out through formulas and modeling systems uh, how that's going to work. Now, a couple of other points to make on these. Uh, with A, with that much glass, a hydronic or electronic uh, he uh, radiant heaters will be required at the base of the windows to reduce condensation buildup. Um, in Cleveland, that's probably not a bad idea uh, that, you know, in the winter in Cleveland, uh, you're going to get uh, pretty cold outside and uh, you're gonna have a nice warm inside space with lots of people breathing and sweating and uh, you know, making coffee and some steam going into the air and all of that. Uh, so there's a lot of moisture build up in that air. That moisture is gonna be nice and uh, warm air and moist warm air. Uh, and then as that warm moist air goes over towards those cold windows, uh, the air is gonna cool down. And what do we know about uh, air? Well, warmer air, uh, can hold a lot more moisture than cooler air can. So that same body of air, that's that same cubic foot of air, if you will, that moves from the interior and gets very moist, moves over to the exterior, gets very cold next to that cold window, and it's gonna start dropping, leaving behind its uh, um, some of the moisture because it's gonna get to the point that it can't hold all of that moisture. And so you're gonna get condensation on the windows. So that's not a bad idea, putting those radiators below, because that will warm up right below the window. You'll get a sort of warm flow of air rising up across the window. It's gonna pick up all that condensation. It's gonna create a buffer between the cold radiant source of the cold window and the bodies, the people who are uh, inside. So it's not a bad idea. And in a place like uh, Minneapolis or Cleveland or Chicago or Boston or, uh, you know, cities like that where it gets reasonably cold, um, you know, the, you're going to find that quite often, but it's not really about the window wall ratio. It's just not, that's not the issue. It's just a probably a good design practice uh, depending on what other choices you're making. Uh, and then if we look at B, uh, the structure must be of concrete frame uh, for stiffness to reduce potential uh, for building movement. Um, you know, there may be reasons why you would want a nice stiff building, um, but again, it doesn't really have anything to do with the window wall ratio. Uh, the curtain walls are set up in order to be able to have a little bit of movement within them, uh, at least they should be. Uh, so it's just not related. It, there may be reasons to want a stiff building, but it's not related to the issues of this question. And then D, uh, to reduce solar heat gain from the large amount of glass area, exterior shading devices will be required. Again, kind of like the uh, hydronic or electric uh, radiators at the base of the windows, probably a good idea. Uh, it just doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the window wall ratio. So uh, lots of potential correct answers, 
but there's just one that's the actual uh, full correct response. Thank you, Mike. Uh, before we hop into question five, one of the questions we got in the community, which actually isn't specific to this particular question necessarily, is a broader question from uh, Dallas Three. Um, said, uh, "Can we save a couple minutes to discuss the difference between uh, the PPD exam and the PDD exam?" Uh, Mike, do you want to? Do you have any comments yeah. uh, on on the difference between those two different types of exams? Yeah. So the um, the planning and design. If you you know the, the sort of classic scenario, they they very consciously didn't use the normal way that we would talk about these things, which is schematic design, design development, uh, and then CDs for contract documents, uh, bidding, and then CA construction administration. Um, and they they didn't want to tie it to those terms for I think good reason. Um, but effectively, uh, the analysis one, the one before this is really like, okay, imagine a client has come to you and they say, you know, we want, we want to build a project, you know, so the survey, you know, getting to know the land, doing research about what's the climate like, uh, does it rain a lot? How cold does it get? Uh, where is the sun uh, compared to the site? Uh, do we have con contextual issues? Um, big picture design issues like, is the soil good enough that we can have a reasonable foundation or are we gonna to have to put caissons a million miles down uh, in order to get to bedrock, right? So kind of big picture, where is it on the site? What's the context like, things like that. So that's kind of it, sort of pre-design, it's kind of at schematic design and all, all those kinds of thinking. Well, this exam is you're talking about kind of planning and getting into design. So you've already done the analysis and the sort of uh, straightforward kind of looking at, you know, how much rainfall is there and things like that. Now you're thinking about the design. So you're doing kind of that schematic into design development range. So you're starting to draw the elevations, you're looking at, you know, uh, things like the window wall ratio because you're trying to get a handle on kind of what does the building actually look like? We've already got sort of, uh, you know, maybe an initial concept, but now we're, we're actually designing it. And so we're figuring out what makes sense and what works. And so we're finalizing uh, things like the building shape, the uh, wall system, the, uh, you know, getting a, a clear idea of the uh, wall section, uh, getting into the materials. You're sort of moving from that very first kind of design thinking into that kind of design development realm. Uh, and then the next one, the, the PDD one, now you're talking about documentation, right? So now you're moving from design development into uh, the con contract documents. So you're creating uh, permit sets and uh, construction drawings and uh, uh, all of uh, those kinds of issues and starting to get into uh, bidding and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, bidding will also fall into the, the the last one as well. But so the documentation, that's where you're, you're really getting into, okay, not just like uh, what the WWR is, kind of what this thing looks like, but you're getting into what's the detail, where's the thermal break uh, on the curtain wall, right? You're getting into how much CFM uh, am I putting out uh, into this room uh, in order to keep it uh, uh, warm enough on the you know coldest day of the winter. Um, you're getting into that detail level uh, that is, we've moved past now the sort of general design issues of materiality and space and all of that, which shows up on this one. And we've moved into the realm of uh, details and communication of those details to other people. So to code officials, to contractors, to all of those folks. Uh, it's always interesting to think about what the what the term CDs means. People will talk about it as construction drawing, CD. Uh, some people will uh, you know, use some other ones. Technically, it's actually contract documents. Uh, that's what the CD means. And it's interesting to think about why we use that term. Uh, we also will say just you know, colloquially, we'll use construction drawings or construction documents. Um, because you know we're trying to be clear about what we're saying, but 
technically the contract documents is there because your uh, work, right, uh, your set of drawings at the end of when you've done all of that work is actually the contract between two other people. So your work is not a building, your work is the contract to make the building. Now, obviously there's also a written contract and there's a bunch of other stuff involved, but that written contract will say, and drawings by, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the questioner, but uh, drawings by uh, X um, and uh, dated at this time, and that's now part of that contract. And so you immediately, once you realize that CD means contract, that you start realizing, oh wait, my work at this stage is about being able to communicate for other people. So it has to be a communication. I'm not even in the room. The owner and the GC are the ones in the room. Now, I'm probably also there too, but technically those two people are having a conversation and their conversation is through my drawings. So the documentation portion of the exam is really about that kind of conversation. So conversations with code officials, details, uh, conversations with GCs, uh, meeting all those final kinds of issues that you would need to meet. On this exam, what we're really talking about is the design, the uh, what the material is. So if you think about what it means to be the difference between schematic design and design development, by the time I get to the end of design development, I should really know what all the materials are, right? It's a brick building with uh, you know punched windows and then this one curtain wall to emphasize the entry, right? Okay, I can, I can talk about all those materials. I haven't necessarily uh, drawn all the details of all those materials yet. I haven't necessarily gone into sort of a full um, mode description of every uh, aspect of it, but I should know the spaces. I should know the size of the rooms. I should know the materials that uh, are there, and I should be able to be, have that conversation to get to that point of knowing those materials and knowing those designs. So this exam is where we're going through that process to, to get to that point of knowing that information. And then the next exam is going to be, okay, we've got the design, now we're detailing it so we can communicate it, we can document it and give that uh, information to other people. Awesome, thanks Hopefully Mike. That yeah, reasonable? Great. Yep. Okay, let's finalize this thing here. Uh, question five, the client has asked for a four-story building of 40,000 square feet per floor. During a code review, the determination is that the occupancy and the construction type together reveal an allowable floor area of 30,000 square feet per floor. What should the architects do? Uh, a, we could explain to the client that the code only allows 30,000 square feet per floor and help find ways to save space on the layout so they can fit. B, we could design a six-story building to accommodate the client's space needs because it was going to be a four-story building at 40,000 40, square feet per floor. They're saying, all right, we'll make it a smaller per floor, but taller. Uh, C, we could initiate the process for uh, code request for variation from the local building department. Or D, uh, we could propose a four-hour rated building wall or firewall that divides the floor plan into separate buildings. Um, so there's a couple of possible ways that you could answer this, but the simple answer is going to be um, well, for one, we can say telling the client not that they can't build what they want. That's probably not going to get you a lot of projects. So uh, we're going to we're going to cancel that one out if we can. Um, but if you imagine your 40,000 square foot floor plan, and I'm just for simplicity's sake going to say, and here's a corridor, and there's stairs and elevators somewhere. Um, the word building is kind of interesting. It has potentially multiple meanings. And uh, in this case, this is clearly a building, right? We imagine it's got exterior walls. We could stand outside and look at it and it would look like a building. But if I built a big four hour wall down the middle of it or somewhere in it, uh, and made sure that this side 
here was no more than the 30,000. And then this other side was whatever we needed that was left. Uh, I'm essentially turning that one building into two buildings that make up one building. <laughs> and so it's a little weird because they use the same term, but uh, effectively by putting that, that firewall in that building wall, we are dividing the building into two separate buildings. Now I have this corridor that goes, runs between them. And you've all probably seen this many times where you're walking down a corridor and then there's these weird doors that are open. Um, so I have those doors that if they were closed would continue that building wall. But when they're sitting open, I think that's too small for me to draw, but there you go. Um, when they're sitting open, they're being held by little magnets or some device like that, that when the fire alarm goes off, the magnets let go and the doors close and that wall becomes a continuous uh, four hour or two hour, depending on the situation, uh, building wall. Uh, and so what you've effectively done is you've used the code and sort of figured out how to make the code work for your situation. Now, it's not cheap to build that wall, right? So it may actually be better to, to do something else, but the code is never telling you, if it says you can only build 30,000 square feet, it's not telling you you can only build 30,000 square feet. What it's telling you is you can only build 30,000 square feet if you uh, are only doing this one thing. I can then do something else and build bigger or build uh, build more or have a longer distance or whatever it happens to be. So you're, the issue here is, you, uh, the reason that we wanted to use this question is we wanna make sure that you're realizing that the point of reading the codes is not to be sort of told exactly uh, you know, oh, the, the table says I can only build, you know, X or Y, or uh, it's to use the code to figure out, all right, how do I do what we need to do in this situation? And in this way, you're realizing that there's this terminology that allows you to uh, think of, of a single building in a more dynamic way. So if this was, say, uh, the same numbers, but we were trying to do a 90,000 square foot building. Well, we could have more than one building uh, wall uh, and or firewall and uh, have this exact same situation. And for the user, nobody even really needs to know. Like they don't care. They, they're just walking down the corridor and there's a weird door sitting open, but what do they care? And then in a fire, the door lets go, it, it closes down, you have a continuous wall. It's still a door, so you can still move through it, but it's a fire rated door that will stop uh, uh, smoke and, and uh, heat to some degree for at least a period of time. Uh, so this is sort of that example where don't get pushed around by the code, use the code to find a ways to do the things that you need to do for your client. Now, you would never wanna do something that's unsafe, uh, so you might, have a conversation with the client about, yeah, we can put this wall in, but I feel uncomfortable with it because I don't like how the safety is working here. Like that's a reasonable conversation. But if you feel like it's still safe and it would be safe because a fire here is very unlikely to get through that wall. So you are in fact increasing the safety of the building by doing this. Uh, so uh, nobody wants you to build anything that's unsafe and you certainly don't want to encourage you to, uh, to let uh, an owner just sort of push you over to build something that's unsafe. But at the same time, you need to be able to work the codes in order to be able to get the buildings that you need. And that's what's expected. They're written in that way. So when you read them, you'll find that uh, almost every time it tells you no, it actually also tells you how you can do it. Uh, it's just that it's gonna uh, add other requirements in order to keep the building safe and healthy and functional. So uh, the answer, what was the answer? Uh, there it is, D. Okay. Beautiful, thank you, Mike. Um, 
I think we've hit most of the questions that are in our ARE community. Um, so I think with that, uh, I can say thank you. Thank you to you, uh, of course, Mike, and thanks uh, to everybody for tuning in. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show here, um, our next ARE live broadcast will be on November 11th of 2021, and we're going to review some of the most important concepts of the project management exam uh, and share some practice exam questions as we do uh, review a mock exam, just like today uh, with you, Mike. Um, so uh, that's what's going on next. As I mentioned at the top of the, uh, the show here, we've launched our ARE guarantee. We're confident uh, that if you use our expert membership to the fullest, you will pass the ARE. And if you don't, we'll pay for your retake. So you can learn, learn more about that uh, on our website at blackspectacles.com. And also to learn uh, how to get your full firm on a membership and have your boss pay for it, go to blackspectacles.com and head to the pricing section and look up firms. The lucky winner of a Black Spectacles t-shirt is Gloria M. Uh, Gloria will reach out to you via email today to get your size and shipping information. Thanks to everybody who posted uh, on our ARE community. Uh, there's a lot of really good questions over there. Um, and uh, if we haven't already answered them, uh, we will uh, uh, diligently uh, uh, continue working on uh, getting you answers uh, to your questions. The thing I want to mention to everybody is that our ARE community is actually a free resource for anyone at any time. So it's not just for ARE Live. Um, so if you have a question as you're studying, um, regardless of whether you're using Black Spectacles materials or not, it's a free resource for everybody. Uh, so it, we have uh, licensed architects who, um, uh, who pay attention to the posts uh, on there and, uh, and they, they work to provide lots of answers and provide a lot of information. So it's a great resource. Uh, this month, we're offering a 15% discount off of any of our expert level memberships. So you can use the code A-R-E-L-I-V-E-O-C-T-1-5 to get 15% off any of our expert memberships and to gain access to our virtual workshops and the A-R-E guarantee. So keep in mind, the co coupon code expires on November 11th of 2021. Uh, so you'll want to keep that in mind. Uh, but if you're ready to start studying, you can head to blackspectacles.com slash pricing slash individual to sign up and use that code at checkout. Finally, be sure to stick around for a few minutes to take our survey uh, and share any suggestions that you may have, uh, suggestions about the format, suggestions about the topic. Um, I promise we really do read every word that you write and use them to tune our next episodes. So thanks for watching. Mm -hmm.